Yes. Under the Bar podcast, uh, Tom Hewitt and Rodden Dubois mm. and Cam the Wookie here in the studio. Uh, it's a very mm. exciting time of the year and looking forward to doing this brief little episode, intro, outro, to an mm. awesome part two series with the muscle doctor, Jordan Shallow. We're going through the glutes and the hips. Yeah. Look, he's a touch of the Russell Crowe's. We've claimed him as ours. <laughs> you know, like uh, he's, he's, he's under the bar. He's under the bar material now, but we've... Uh, we're, we're lucky enough to. Uh, I actually met him when I was over in um, uh, San Fran, yep. and uh, we caught up. And I, and I said, look, uh, I had a chat with him there, and um, I was blown away by his uh, his knowledge. And then uh, I think I threw a bone your way, and, and you had a bit of a sniff around and said, uh, this guy's uh, this guy's good. We've got to get him on. Yeah. And uh, and here we are for uh, the second instalment, yep. where we're going to go a little further downstairs. We started at the shoulder, which was. Uh, uh, from the feedback I have had so far, really well received, which is awesome. A little, uh, he does get uh, a little technical, like, and we we, we hope uh, uh, you guys listening uh, appreciate us trying to dumb things down a little, so we, we can all we can all learn something from it. But uh, but uh, imagine him just going full full speed at, at uh, you know talking about Oof. it. Oh. Dude. You'd have to be strapped in. Mm. Right, so the glutes and hips today. Yep. We'll start off with this one, just dotting I's and crossing T's on a few of those exercises that he brought up in the shoulder yep. one last episode mm-hmm. because um, I've been using some of those exercises. Yeah. They're really good, yep. but there's just some clarification to, to sort of mm. touch base on there, mm. and then he'll get right into the content. So he'll be coming up in just a few moments' time. Rawdon, before we do that, we've just got off the line with... The line on the line. The evil genius, Broderick Chavez, and the man behind... Flex success, Dean McKillop, mm. obviously with uh, Lizzie up there as well. But we had Dean and his on, team, yeah, and his team. Mm-hmm. We had Dean on the line and Broderick on the line, mm. recording the pre-course material mm. for the Evil Genius seminar in a few weeks' time. Yep, and it's exciting. It's really yep. good. It's Look, I, I think the big uh, take-home message there was was how did Cam actually put that together and manage to set it up a, a four-way between <laughs> all of us? But but he did, and uh, we, we, we we're all online, and we actually could see the video, which is really really cool. And um, yeah, look, it was a really good experience. We covered a, a ton of awesome material. And uh, look, before we went into that recording, Tommy, I'll be honest, you know, I was like, I, I wasn't sure where the Brita would have the skill set to trim such complex, you know, organism cells, endocrine system, you know, musculoskeletal, uh, you know, all these things into something that we can listen to, get a little bit of an insight to, just enough, so we get a basic grasp on it. And then wrap it all up and say thanks for coming. Yep. But uh, I, I got to say, it was. Uh, I think I think he did just that. You know, like uh, we're now your coach, doctor slash biologist, Hewitt. Oh, y- yes. And I'm uh, Doctor Dubois, uh, biologist as well. Uh, uh, PhD in biology, Mm-mm-mm. biology and pharmacology. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fully certified. Yeah, uh, at the uh, Sports Performance University. Mm-mm. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so look, even the pre-material for this uh, mm. seminar is really, really mm. awesome. Well, it was foreplay, really, wasn't it? It was like <laughs> get a bit of foreplay, get you in the mood yeah. for the. Well, seminar. we did spend some time on the reproductive system. Well, we almost forgot it, and I had yeah, to remind to. him about that that yeah. that re- reproductive system, very important one. But you can go to evilgeniusdownunder.com to get all the information for the yep. seminar. Uh, we've been pumping that, so I don't think there's too much more to say about it. Yep. We might even drip feed a bit of that content on the yes. podcast. It would be good, I think, for the general listeners to hear some of that stuff. It's yeah. it's awesome. All right, well, let's go to the muscle, Dr. Jordan Shallow. Mm. Hey, Rocky 
Under the Bar podcast back here again. Mm. Um, Rawdon, by the end of this interview, you would have been through your sixth shot of coffee for the day. Yeah, look, uh, who we have on the line will probably be nodding, go, yep, that's about right, nothing wrong with that. But yeah, you know, you did sort of raise your eyebrows when I said it was, uh, I was up to number six at the end of this mm. uh, interview. It's midday. Granted, I mean, we've got... Um, an intellectual on the mm. other end of the line. I've got to have my wits about us. got to have our wits about us. Yeah, mm. yeah. Mm. So, Dr. Jordan Shallow, the muscle doctor, joins us again. Last time we spoke about the shoulder joint. Today, we're going to have a look at the glutes. Mm-hmm. Jordo, welcome back to the program and thank you for your time. Yeah, no, appreciate you guys having me on. Appreciate you being adequately caffeinated. <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. Yes. So, before we get into the glutes, a couple yeah, of yeah, questions. Yeah, 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 yeah. A little bit of eye dotting and T crossing. Can you talk us through the up and under kettlebell press that you were that you mentioned last week? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And how you is that a static hold for time? Are you trying to get no, what are the two, parameters around how to? Work I think it's it? a two different. So the, the one uh, he's referring to, the second one is the the exercise that you like with the kettlebell arm outstretched and and I thought it was a static hold to, and you, you you prevent the the kettlebell from falling each way and that in itself was uh you know passively strengthening the shoulder joint and then the other one is the I think the kettlebell press overhead was there two two exercises uh, I mean you can do it both ways I it just one is going to scale up range of motion and scale down resistance or scale down this like the ability to stabilize against heavier loads so like you can do both, like overhead carries or something you'll see a lot in like, yep. uh, maybe a more proactive approach in like an Olympic lifter or CrossFitter, someone that's yep. gonna spend more time in that overhead position, um, which will allow them to load more weight if they're not going to be, uh, if they're not gonna be going through like a pressing movement per se, which in Olympic lifting, um, I, like the actual strict press is gonna be, uh, it, they're probably looking for more of a transfer of power from the lower to the upper rather than shoulder strength. So yep. building the resistance in that like locked out range of motion will allow them to load more weight and then just hold isometrically. And some guys will like to kind of perturbate the motion by going through like a gate cycle. So like a split load overhead carry where you have like a suitcase carry in one hand and then the kettlebell bottom under carry and then you just sort of just walk for, for reps. Um, like for steps or distance, yeah. Okay. Uh, but then you could also go through, and what I prefer, just from a a dynamic correspondence to powerlifting, is actually going through the press. Um, just the reason being is there are many different ways to get into that overhead position, and actually that's where the diagnostic criteria of the movement comes in. Is the actual like threading of the needle of the shoulder joint, like what you'll see a lot of in initial or like first time users of the exercise is they'll try to turn it into like a military press like yep. they'll abduct and externally rotate and, and press sort of as you would in like a seated dumbbell military yep uh, the problem there is that's the difference between having strong delts and, and strong shoulders right we're trying to have a strong shoulder yes. we're not really worried too much about the focus on the actual anterior or lateral medial delt whatever you want to call it or the rear delt we're worried about loading through rotation so when you abduct and externally rotate you're taking the rotational component by and large out of it because you're staying in that abducted and externally rotated plane almost like you're pressing through like a smith machine um and that takes the inherent role of the rotator cuff uh you know the the key word there being rotation rotator right so if we're in that fixed plane we're just really loading through flexion extension of the glenohumeral joint which is going to load more onto the anterior delt and less through the rotational plane and into the rotator cuff to stabilize so i prefer the bottoms up press for reps um just for my application of it it's a little bit more um 
it's a little bit more diagnostic of how my scapula moves. Like yeah. some people, when they go through the bottom underpress, they'll get to about 120 degrees of shoulder flexion. So the elbow sort of just breaks the plane of the shoulder and then they'll be forced to flare out because they're not, uh, they can't accommodate with a posterior tilt of the scapula. Yes. So probably less pertinent in like a uh, proficient Olympic lifting um, athlete just because the amount of time they spend overhead is going to be 10 to 1, 20 to 1 of that of a power lifter. So I'm not too worried about the scapula manifesting itself as a rate limiter of that motion. So they could load up heavier for reps or, um, or steps or distance. Um, but as power lifters and bodybuilders by and large, less explosive athletes who spend less time overhead, I like this, the diagnostic criteria of the actual press itself. So, so to clarify for our listeners, we've got the arm at right angle, so out to the side, and then we're pressing overhead, or is it? Uh, uh, no, or, so or we want to the front like straight. So zero to think zero degrees abduction. So arms like arm right at our sides, and then we're gonna raise the shoulder up. Think of uh, like a front rack position in a in a front squat, where you're trying yep. to get that uh, elbow yep, yep. wrist in a kind of a straight line in that yep. front rack position. That's kind of where you want to think from initiating that press from. Because what that takes is is active external rotation and shoulder flexion. Okay. Yeah. So, so you're not holding it like a, in a neutral position like you would for a, a neutral dumbbell press. You're you're keeping that uh, wrist position and grip position all the way through the press up above your head. Yeah. Yeah. So you're pretty much the palm. Like if you're doing like a bilateral load, like you did two kettlebells at, at once, the yep. palms would almost be facing. They'd be facing each other out the gate. And then as you go through the top of the movement, the palms would be facing ahead of you. Like the oh, mirror right. Okay. So, we're, so we're like rotate. We're, we're pro- pronating, essentially. We're starting neutral, and then they're, they're pronating, so they go overhead. Yeah, but yeah. that pronation is going to be as a direct expression of loading internal rotation at the top. And then as you begin to supinate back to that neutral wrist position, if we're yep. using the wrist as sort of a, a measure of shoulder movement, then that's going to be a lot of active external rotation. Okay, right. that makes so, sense. So just the, the, the actual joint being taken through its range of motion will cause it to pronate at the top mm-hmm. and then yeah. come back yeah. in that neutral position. Okay. I've been doing these, Jordo, since we spoke last week, unilateral, so one arm at a time. Yeah. And um, so yesterday, yesterday I was doing them. Yesterday and the day before, I really started to feel actually my, um, like my trap three fatiguing the most um, mm. after the press. So the shoulders and the grip and the wobble and everything's calmed down. Uh, so stabilizing the scapula. But I'm, feel, I'm feeling underneath my scapula fatiguing and, and sort of um, activating and getting a bit uncomfortable. Is that is that normal? Yeah, anytime you can centralize the stimulus, you're better off. Um, so people will initially struggle with, like, um, have you ever taken a first time lifter through a back workout and all they feel is their forearms? Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Yes. It's not used to training and grip, right? But yeah. over time, they they begin to centralize, like the forearms clear from a, like a uh, a rate limiter of strength production or force production. Mm. Then they'll maybe feel like the biceps yep. as secondary muscle group, and then finally, maybe after months of training, sort of uh, <laughs> that work capacity, then they'll be able to feel their lats. Yeah. But what they did is we we just centralized the stimulus. Yes. So uh, like um like you said, it's now we're looking to stabilize the scapula, which. Some people, maybe out of the gate, the lower trap might be engaged more based off their inability to like open up that shoulder blade and posteriorly tilt to allow for that movement to happen. But by and large, that's kind of the progression you'll see. Okay, okay. And you like it for actual reps. Pick a weight and do reps and complete a certain amount and then get a slightly heavier kettlebell and do more reps? Yeah, and I, I'm not looking for failure. Um, no. I'm just looking for... I mean, it's more... 
the way I progress my warm-ups and the way I'll prescribe progressions is there's a difference between activation and integration where it's like your your boilerplate um, rotator cuff activation is you know the cabler bands kind of flapping the arms around where that's yep. like we spoke in the past that's anatomically loading the muscles of the rotator cuff correctly you know infraspinatus teres minor primarily but integrating them now is neurologically prepping them for movement because mm -hmm. when we're using our rotator cuff when we're benching for something that's a little bit more apt for for my use it's going to be it's going to be as anti-movers it's going to be a stability it's a resisting force rather than exerting force so mm -hmm. what i like about this is it's not so much like bringing this to fatigue um from a sense of muscular failure but looking for where i can push the envelope on a, on a technique failure or a form failure yeah Okay, awesome. Okay. Really good, mate. That makes a lot of sense. All right. Um, that was a good question, Tom. Thank you, mate. Well, great I just, clarification. I, I just needed to know. I needed to know. No, no, it's good. Yeah, it makes good, sense. Good, because I, I had the completely the wrong uh, image in image my head, in but head. Now, I, yep. now that made perfect sense when we okay. went through that. Cool. Awesome. Thanks, Jordo. So now we're going to talk yep. about the glutes. Uh, gee, the glutes. Oh. I mean, what, what a, there's so much stuff. I mean, there's glute no, guys out there. No, no it's... it's Oh, we're gonna know. And, and look, I can actually uh, preface what Jordan's going to talk about, mate. He's going <laughs> to say, "Get a band around the knees." Yeah. Crab walk, sort of go into a semi crouch, and then just crab walk across the gym and crab walk the other way across the gym. Correct. Be fine. Correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Jordan. Yeah. So, so my wife's Australian, so I'm getting pretty good at this. And you guys <laughs> would define that as taking the piss. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Precisely. Yeah, that's what we do on this There's a lot program. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh -huh. So. Yeah, no, but yeah, all jokes, yeah, all, all, all jokes sorry. aside, Jordan. Like I, I, I see that. Uh, yeah, you got to fire your glutes before you squat. I mean, I, I could every time I go in the gym, I guarantee that I see someone doing that across the gym, and um, then they'll proceed to the squat rack or, or, or deadlifting or do whatever. Um, and that may not be the best way to do it. Yeah. Uh yeah. That again, it, it comes back to if we can compare the rotator cuff and just the the principle of stability as a whole. It's it's the difference between anatomically loading a muscle correctly and neurologically loading the muscle correctly. So the role, I mean, the glutes are three muscles, like first and foremost, right? You have the, the max, the med, and the min. Um, and they all play different roles, but two of the three are primarily stability role, and, and the glute max is gonna be sort of your, your anterior to posterior hip thrust kind of yep. mover. And very rarely do I see people, you'd have to be a fairly long levered individual for, for the, I mean, if we think about someone with like long femurs, and even then, I think a lot of people cry bad structure when they just have bad function. Yep. Um, for the the glute max to be the rate limiter to progress in like a like in squat or deadlift, yeah. where it's usually the stability of the other two that goes unaddressed, um, that that becomes the issue. I mean, the glutes by and large, the glute max is the strength is established if you've been kind of squatting your way. Um, you know, through your exercise programming, if squats have been a staple, more likely than not, your glute max is not going to be the rate limiter in how much weight you have on the bar. However, the stability of the glute need, that's where things get a little bit hairy. And then it's the same conversation we had with the rotator cuff, where it's the difference between activation and integration. So uh, enlighten us, like where do we, uh, now we've identified it's usually a stabilization issue, where do we go from here? Okay, so I mean, if we were to assess the glutes, and this is what a lot of people do um, in like a functional movement assessment standpoint, they'll look to the squat and they'll look to the deadlift, right? They'll look to see how the pattern, like whether people are shifting or whether their their hips shoot back first or whatever. They'll yep. look they'll look at a really narrow subset 
of the actual range of motion of the joint that the muscle in question is acting on within the range of motion of the exercise rather than looking at the full range of motion of the joint that kind of pertains to the muscle in question so what i mean by that is instead of using the squat or the deadlift to assess how your hips or your glutes and i'm and i'm trying to be all encompassing of all three here but more so um the glute meat and the glute min the st stabilizers is let's not look at the hips as they work in the exercise of the squat but let's look how they're meant to actually function um kind of uh, from an evolutionary biology standpoint yep. like if we think that as human beings the one thing we're probably better at than any other any other animal on the planet if we're putting us back in the food chain mm -hmm. is walking so what gets lost in and a lot of it comes down uh, to, to just the ability to market and monetize the fitness industry it's the this principle doesn't sell because you don't need a hip circle you don't need bands you don't need jane fonda sunday morning couch workout <laughs> videos you just need your own body weight but what people they miss the boat when they start talking about squatting and deadlifting as functional movements and and just that that primal sort of that they're the be-all end-all of, of exercise assessment and intervention that's where I think a lot of it stems from so doubling back to the point is like it, if I were to assess how my how stable my hips were how well functioning my hips were by just looking at a squat or a deadlift that would be me like taking a gun and shooting my laptop my laptop is six inches away from my face it's like you can be pretty damn inaccurate and pretty well blind and you could still hit the target yeah. Yes. So it takes okay. a high level of instability or imbalance to have something manifest in such a short trajectory as being visibly off target. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Now let's think of the gait cycle as our primary function as biped human beings. So let's take a step out of the gym for a second and back through, you know, however many billions of years or whenever we found the first uh, Homo sapien or whatever, when we started mm -hmm. walking on two feet, let's look then at what our main function was. It wasn't like, bro, can you squat like 315? <laughs> it's putting one foot in front of the other. So that is now a distal trajectory. That gait cycle is how our hips are meant to work. So if we then take, I don't know, where you guys are, you're in the studio right now? Yeah. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Like, look, is there, you guys can see traffic, cars? Uh, yeah, well, there's there's girls walking past occasionally. Yeah, there's people. Okay, around. I'm not going to reference you shooting a female, but okay, right. uh, <laughs> I, I pick something that's like 100 yards away, 200 yep. yards away. I got yeah. it. Calibrate your sights there, and then if we can be accurate enough and stable enough, if we're drawing a parallel between shooting and assessing hips, if we can dial it in there and calibrate our sights and calibrate our accuracy at that distal trajectory, hmm. every time when we come back in. To the narrow trajectory of me shooting my screen i'm going to be bullseye every time so yep. i usually start when it, the conversation comes up about glutes or glute strengthening that we got to step out of like the the common you know squat and deadlift from an assessment standpoint yep. as well as an intervention standpoint like a good rule of thumb is if you can't stand on one leg you shouldn't be squatting with two yeah and i mean yeah, i can take guys with you know 800 pound squats and have them just try and do even like a properly cued walking lunge and they'll struggle with it but yeah, put two feet together in a bar on their back where they're propped up on their structure then they they're using that to exert their force which is in as we kind of um presented with the shoulder where it's like stability is going to govern your ability to exert force yes. right so yeah, that yeah. like that wrist gets wobbly at the top of that kettlebell bottom under press that same governing factor of 
like strength at those the the mobile joints that need to be stable at end range that exists through the hips as well so it's kind of like like Gandalf saying you shall not pass and just kind of sits there and goes yeah we're not letting any more strength get put through this in this yes. unstable position because we're not sure how we're going to react mm. so it, it's one Very thing cool. to try and sell a lifter on oh do this particular lunge series and you won't get hurt a lot of them you know they live and die by the sword they don't really care but tell them that they're going to increase their performance and they'll PR their squat and their deadlift then you start to get some buy in yeah 100% 100% nature of the beast so I'm assuming then, Jordo, there's a, a series of neurological loading methods that you have to um, develop the kind of stability that we need to squat. Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing is just the connectivity to the floor, right? Like having having that dynamic correspondence. And if we think of all the common interventions that, you know, quote unquote, strengthen the glutes in some way to mitigate hip pain or low back pain or improve performance or activate or turn on, whatever they all have one thing in common a lot of times they're the the glute in question has the foot of that hip off the floor you know imagine like you know you said doing the crab walks or whatever or the the monster walks with the hip circle the glute that we're firing is the glute of the foot that we're raising off the ground to overcome in abduction and slight rotation against the resistance of the circle that's anchored to our other leg yes right yep yep now again that comes like double back to the rotator cuff and how those muscles more so work around a helical plane like around a y-axis of the body where to function properly from a neurological standpoint we want our foot to be on the ground so if we imagine like you kind of laying in bed you're watching the jane fonda videos and you're kind of kicking your you're abducting against nothing right yeah but that's relative abduction that's abduction of your hip relative to your body but what we want is relative abduction relative to the ground so think with the way the glutes like runners are really aware of this and sprinters are really aware of this because this is where the force transfer when it gets lost it's very quantifiable where it's okay. like take someone like like a usain bolt who's for a sprinter extremely tall if you take him and what makes him so special is taller people have a higher center of gravity just like a, you know a, a large vehicle will have a higher center of gravity so with that comes the need to stabilize a wider base of support. Now imagine every time he heel struck. So the role of the glute is to laterally stabilize the pelvis, right? The femur into the pelvis. So imagine if every time he he hit the ground in one of his strides, his his hip just kind of shot off to the left. Like you see some people in yep. the bottom of a squat, they'll just shift into one side, like yep, into one yep. uh, into one hip. Now imagine every time he did that in 100 meters or 200 meters, every time say his left foot hit the ground, his his pelvis would sort of drop off. So the left the left SI joint, or the, the brim of the left ilium would elevate because the glute med couldn't laterally stabilize adequately against his high center of gravity. Mm-hmm. Now, the, what makes him special is tall runners and tall people are structurally unstable, just like tall vehicles, high center of gravity. So yep. most people, when generating that kind of unilateral force, would be bound to a certain amount or would have to succumb to a certain amount of lateral shift. He doesn't. Now, in doing so, when he can stabilize very quickly through that that stance leg hip, he, that pelvis doesn't drop off. It actually can stay level. And then his next stride is starting from a lot higher of a position, right? So even if yep. you're standing there and just kind of like, um, just allow, like if you stood up on one leg and allowed yourself to like almost stretch into that stance leg glute and then try and raise your opposite knee as high as you could. 
and then activate the glute to stabilize the pelvis and see the difference in the level of the knee just from activating the glute, just as the pelvis levels itself off. Well, I mean, that at high speeds and at like a high turnover rate is the difference between running a world record time and getting sixth place. Yeah. For him, he runs three or four less strides, and I don't know what the exact number is, but in the 100, 200, he's, he's, a, like, he's doing appreciably less work because yes. he can use his leverages very well to take those longer strides that most taller guys can't. Yeah. Uh, now, how does this carry over to lifting? It's like, well, obviously the gait cycle is gonna be imperative in assessment, but also in, in, in intervention as well. So take someone and just have them stand on one leg. Yep. Simple as that. Yep. And then see see how they react. And then the idea here is if we imagine the- I might just get up, Tom. You go on. I might just get up. It's auto, I'm notoriously uh, bad at standing on one leg. So yeah, I, I'm standing now. What am I gonna do? Okay, so try and try and terminally extend your knee of the stance leg. So like activate your VMO. Yeah. Yep. Okay, good. Yep. No no issues. Now raise your uh, right knee as high or ra- raise the opposite knee as high as you can, keeping your shoulders and pelvis level. So leg straight or do I bend the knee? Uh, of the stance leg, you want to keep it straight. straight. And of the leg, so imagine going through like a sprinter stride. Sprinter stride, bend the knee. Yep. Okay. So far, so good, Jordan. So he's parallel. Oh, he's starting to wobble around a little bit. Yeah, right? Okay. But now that's us looking at still a pretty narrow trajectory. That's me shooting the computer and I'm fairly inaccurate. Now, what chance do you think you have of being stable in a more more end range range of motion or more distal trajectory? So that's, I mean, that's step one is just can you stand on one leg? Mm. And now what a lot of people do is they'll stand on the one leg and then they'll eccentrically load into the glute. They'll allow the pelvis to drop off. The reason I cue the VMO of the stance leg is if you think about the bodybuilding community, if they wanted to isolate the VMO and terminal knee extension to kind of build that teardrop, what they would do is they would intuitively, they would sit on a leg machine and they would intuitively align the hip, knee and ankle. There'd be no abduction of the hips either way. Mm. The legs would be in a straight line down from the hip to the foot. And then they would go through that last 30 degrees because they read in a textbook and blah, 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 blah. But again, the, we got to think now like the role that the co-contraction that has to happen for the glute med and the vmo to stabilize not just the hip but think of the femur itself think of the positions of where those two muscles are right one is going to be one is going to be proximal lateral one is going to be um medial distal they do a really good job at stabilizing the bone of the femur which comprises half of the hip joint um, so in order, because a lot of people can cheat on that stance leg and just allow their body weight to shift into an eccentric load and stretch into that glute and not really, quote unquote, activate it. Mm. But if we say they that's what I was the VMO, they have to then use their, their glute to glute. align the hip, knee, and ankle. And that's the way the glute works is it keeps our pelvis laterally stable through the gait cycle. Yeah, yeah that makes a lot of sense. Because if you, you get someone to stand on one foot and they just take the challenge of standing on one foot and try and balance themselves as best as they can, fire the vmo but you fire the vmo and then you bring in another an, another element mm. yeah it's just i mean the the idea of stability and it's a little more more evident through the hips is you want to deviate your body's center of gravity outside of its base of support so yeah. what we've done is we've limited your base of support to one leg but a lot of people will shift and compensate so that center of gravity still lies within the relatively now smaller base of support of yes. one leg but when we have to laterally stabilize the pelvis and then bring that terminal or bring that knee into terminal extension, we start to deviate and push the boundaries of just where that center of gravity goes. Yeah. Uh, and that's, I mean, that's step one. 
and kind of like just like the shoulder what you want to think from a stability standpoint is think of the ball and socket articulation of the joint in question mm-hmm. um this is this is something true of the hip and shoulder it gets a little dicey not dicey in the spine but spinal stability is more proprioceptive based and positioning based but sticking with the hip think of like putting a drop of paint on the the head of the femur and then keeping your foot on the ground because that's where we want it when we're lifting for the most part painting the inside of the acetabulum the entire inside we want to coat the entire thing with that one drop of paint in the center of the top of the femur head so that basically turns into the full gait cycle walking lunges single leg rdls hip airplanes introducing rotation lateral flexion all while keeping one foot on the ground so like a, a progression i would usually walk through is start from that like sprinter stance pose yep lunge forward into a, like a walking lunge and make sure the lunge is cued properly like don't just have a triple joint flexion extension sort of sobriety test like load the hips as you would like almost like you're in a single leg long strided squat um, making sure the knee travels over the toe bring right. the ankle into dorsiflexion externally rotating the hip at the bottom and then using that vmo to pull us out of that that deep knee hip flex position into a sprinter pose on the other leg into a sp- so, okay so stand so, up from that position and then lift the opposite leg up into the sprinter pose so yeah, yeah. And, and for i guess for our listeners i mean how i would cue that is like a you're dropping into a like a full split squat yeah and yep. then pushing yourself out of a split squat onto the other leg and then lifting the doing the reverse and and i'm assuming you're going to walk down the 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 turf yeah yeah and then you can progress that I mean, as like a, on an interim, like in between reps, then it's we've kind of worked through the flexion plane, but then to activate kind of the posterior chain, that's where I'll go kind of that sprinter pose into a walking lunge and then through that swing phase, and I, as I adopt the sprinter pose of the next rep, I'll then start to hinge into a single leg RDL. Yep. So the full progression would be walking lunge, sprinter pose, single leg RDL, hip airplane, and then into the next rep. A hip right. airplane, what was that one? Yeah. So imagine you're in a single leg RDL position. Yeah. So slight bend in the stance leg knee. You've hinged at the hips. You've, you kind of. I'm going to get up. Jordan, I just hold on, mate. You're going to talk me through it. I'm up. Yeah, This up. could be quite amusing. Okay, for Tom. Right, I think we're going to tear a pair of shorts here. <laughs> all right, where, where are we at? Paint me a picture. Uh, so I've got, I'm on the one leg, sort of uh, precariously perched. He's I'm ready to do RDL. a one legged RDL. Yep. Okay, so there's slight bend in the stance leg knee. Now, this is the key. When you extend that hip the whatever so say you're standing on your left leg yep the yep. right hip that you're going into extension is going to be the driver of the movement so kind of think of where the hamstring and glute tie in to extend the hip so kind of s- calibrate your lateral stability on your stance leg glute mean make sure your shoulders and hips are in line yeah then tuck the rib cage down and with the slight bend in the left knee actively start to extend the right hip and allow your shoulders to kind of follow in turn. So you basically at the bottom of the movement, you want to be chest parallel to the floor. Yep. And I should be able to take take a take a measuring stick from like your nuchal line of the base of your skull straight across the back of your spine to your heel. Because what a lot of right. people do is they'll go through a decent amount of hip extension yep. first, they'll stop, and then they'll go through spinal flexion to appease yes. what they think yes. the visual criteria. I'll just give you a demo, Tom. Okay. So, yeah, so yeah. they get to that point and then they're just bending down. Flexing through you're, the lumbar. You okay, want, so yeah. you, you, you're forcing that uh, movement through Pel- the hip, pelvic tilt, the whole the whole way through the movement. It's yeah. All so a big the thing there, and like you'll find this a lot with like um, it, within more of the bodybuilding community, especially in females that do they do a lot of glute work for aesthetics, um, yep. and a lot of times they just they they stumble upon the stability as kind of a, a side effect. 
But one thing I'll see a lot with that subset of the population is there's a difference between uh, active hip extension and anteroversion of the pelvis. So you want to make sure you cue the position of the rib cage is not to overextend the lumbar spine to get that heel in its end range position. And what was that cue for the rib cage to be parallel Tuck to the, the cage down? Tuck the ribs cage Tuck, down. Yes, and that'll that'll reduce the lumbar curve and force that heel position to come from the entire pelvis tilting, like the lumbo pelvis tilting as one unit, rather than just like hyper extending the lower back to try and get that hip into extension. Yes. Yep, yep, yep. And 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 tell me, uh, Jordo, the the the. So I'm on the left leg. I've hinged forward. Okay. I've tucked the rib. And the, yep. the right leg is is relatively straight, slight bend, and, and, and I'm looking for that heel to, you know, the the, the meter ruler across the, the, sh- the back yep. of the noggin, the shoulders, going down the, the back of the calf and hitting the heel, yep. yeah? So it's, it's pretty much straight, that right leg. And then I, I like to use a mirror to cue this because if you can get the, get the athlete to look forward into the mirror, a lot of times what they'll have done, they'll have compensated in some sort, some sort of rotation so they might notice that the heel, like if they're looking square on in the mirror, the heel of the foot that's extended yep. is actually have broken across the plane in adduction and is now behind them. Yes. So they've kind of like twisted their whole body away from that instability and in attempts to keep the keep the center of gravity within the base of support. So making sure that if I'm looking dead forward, I can't see the heel of that extended leg because that means that I've compensated in rotation and usually what they'll what happen is they'll rotate they'll rotate away from the stance leg but in doing so the heel of the extended leg will cross over the plane and be visible to the opposite side of yeah. the leg that's yeah. on the ground. All right, so that's the unilateral RDL that we're doing as part of the lunge and then there was the what was it the hip um, I, I think that was it with the the leg going out straight. That was what we were just talking about there or was that simply the RDL? That was just the RDL. Imagine then, so we're in that RDL position where the chest is parallel to the floor. Yep, tucked, yep. Now, I want you to purposefully, we're going to deviate the center of gravity a little bit different. So I want you to purposefully now use that glute lead to relatively abduct the hip with the foot on the ground. So like if your left foot's on the ground, we're in a single leg RDL position, the chest is parallel to the floor. Mm -hmm. Think then of like opening the chest up. So almost like if you had print on your shirt, if you had a logo on your shirt, trying to show the guy next to you what the logo was, all from controlling, or all by controlling the position of the hip. So, so we're t- not rotating through the spine, we're actually abducting the hip, but we're not Jane Fonda side lying on the ground, abducting relative to the pelvis, we're abducting the hip relative to the ground, re- relative to gravity, so it's like. Okay, yeah. so, so Jordan, just to clarify, uh, so I'm on my left leg, I've got the, uh, the chest is down, parallel, tucked, uh, I've got the the heel out to the back. I'm I'm precariously perched on one leg, wobbling around as Tom can say. Well, I'm actually stabilizing with my left hand, but and then so I'm turning my chest, uh, rotating, adducting that, um, abducting the hip and to the right. So someone's standing on my right if I'm on my left leg, and that's where I'm showing the the logo on my chest, which is a South Beach Miami logo. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that's exactly it. But make sure to, with the shoulders, move the pelvis. Because if the shoulders yes. don't move and the pelvis, or the shoulders move and the pelvis doesn't move, you're rotating at the Ooh. spine. You're not rotating. <laughs> Mate, I almost went into the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> almost almost fell into the mixing desk. Into the mixing desk. That's tricky, man. That's yeah. tricky, yeah. that one. I mean, and it's, it's, it's just that deviation. But two, we can do that the other plane. So think of like a bowler as he stands through on like a follow through, right? Yeah. How he's eccentrically loaded. So now as we've opened up and showed the logo to the guy on the right, 
think with that hip now and extension, yep. fully closing down and creating relative adduction where we're trying to like bring the pelvis uh, around to the other side. You'll have less range of motion here and you'll yep. almost feel like a hard stop as you eccentrically load. You'll basically yep. feel the glute stretch. Um, and sort of from that stretch position, then you can begin to do reps just in that through that kind of uh, that abduction adduction plane. Right. Wow. And and the chest uh, swiveling to the left then is that yep. you're not getting it as far. You're not opening the no. chest as much. No. So it's pretty much just off uh, being off center. Yeah, yeah. So it's not facing the ground, but it's just off to the left. And then you'd go back to the right. Show Tommy. Hey, South Beach, Miami. Yeah. Hello. And, and then, then back the other way. Yeah. Yeah, and I think a lot of people miss the importance from, uh, and this is kind of tangential to the point of glutes, but the role of the adductors as stabilizers of the pelvis is something that is is the underpinning of a lot of a lot of issues, and maybe it's something we'll we'll cover in um, when we go over knees uh, in episodes in episodes to come. But mm. uh, the adductors' role is really misunderstood, almost to the same the same point and to the same monetary value. Um, yes. as glutes seem to be um, but yeah so that's basically what we do there is when we kind of you're showing the guy to the left the South Beach Miami print mm, yep. we're we're creating relative adduction and then forcing the the adductors to be stable which has huge ramifications on like patellar tracking and, and things like that so a lot of people they attribute uh, oh, yeah. the VMO as like you know if they have tracking issues when they're going through deep knee flexion mm. uh, they, they, they isolate the VMO where actually the the role of the adductors plays a lot um, a lot more prominent role in, in stopping that lateral tracking, but uh, for another time, I don't think you have enough yeah. caffeine in you for that one. <laughs> no. So, just to recap, Jordo, you start with down in a full. Split no, we'll start squat. at the top of a split squat. Mm. You go down yep. into a full split squat. You step mm. up out of that into yep. a high sprinter's pose. Yep. yep. You then do an set RD, yourself up for an RDL. An RDL leg. until the chest is facing the ground and the back heel is, is straight up behind you so, yep you're then showing uh, South Beach Miami to the opposite side then back around um, to the one the leg that you're standing to the leg on. that you're standing on and then do starting the process again well you might do a few of those do Tom. a few of those you but might that, hello but, left and right and then and, drop into another line and that would be a full repetition yeah, and, and it just depends on where your your how far along the progression your technical profici proficiency yes. is. So Weird. each um, one of these steps would could be broken down into a, its own minutia. Yeah, like if obviously the most advanced there from just if we're just loading body weight to deviate that stimulus of instability or progress that stimulus of instability, more stable athletes can spend less time in the walking lunge phase yes. um, and more time in that uh, in that hip airplane kind yeah. of phase because that's going to be more of a test think of it like building strength right like mm. if if i wanted to get a stronger bench press as as a relative point of building strength versus building stability benching 60 kilos isn't really going to do it for me so i'm not going to waste much time benching 60 kilos yeah, i might yeah, do it yeah. as a warm-up set but i want to start putting uh you know more and more weight on the bar just and it's because these exercises for the most part don't have they're very subjective in their progress they have to feel better, but there has to be also like a narrowing dissonance between subjective and objective symmetry. Yep. Where it's like what you what you think feels stable and equal left and right has to look pretty stable and equal left to right to any bystander walking by. Yeah. Um, so that's a I like the mirror for that, and I'm not one like when it comes to squatting or things like that. I don't like using visual aids like that. Like internalizing movement patterns is definitely uh, preferred, especially from a rehab standpoint. But I think for the initial learning of the movement, 
getting your body aware of what you think is stable and and symmetrical and what actually is stable and symmetrical re relative to the room you're in um, people will be very surprised at, at just how um, how wide that gap can be. Yeah, I can imagine. You think yeah. you're good and then someone says, dude, you're shaking all over the place. You know, you got yeah. a lot of work to do. So yeah. I'll just jump in. Just one question there. Um, now you, you mentioned the mirror, you know, not uh, you know, internalizing there. What about if you were doing bicep curls? Is it all right to uh, get yourself in front of the mirror then? You know what? I, I probably take the most nuanced approach to bicep curls. It may come as no surprise, but we literally spent, Dan and I spent about 20 minutes a day going over bicep curls. So it's, don't joke because I'll, I'll go into the weeds on bicep curls if you want me to. Oh, for another episode. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, yeah. oh, for, for another I could, day. I could, that would take a lot of caffeine because it's, it's almost to the point where it's like, okay, you're splitting hairs. But yeah, uh, when, I don't know, when you look at top end strength, think of like, someone's job is to examine a sewer system and see when it's going to break down under highest pressure. You want to yeah. make you want to make sure that guy does a pretty damn thorough job of knowing where that pipe's going to burst and how to patch it before it bursts. Yep. That's how I look at it. and that's the nice thing about powerlifting is that you got to have your ducks in a row because when you put that much pressure through a system, mm. you got to have yeah. a pretty good predictive value of where things are going to go wrong yeah. and under that weight when they go wrong, they go wrong fast. Yeah, and, and and I think I mean Tommy. I mean you've lifted reasonably heavy, but I've certainly um, you know not that it's any claim to fame, but two twen two ten uh, roaring no belt Ravens, you know. But I was always uh, a kilos, not pound. But I, it was like I don't know if I'm near that point where shit's going to go south, you know. And if you know because I don't, I never did anything to stabilize. But I'm telling you, if I had done these exercises and had that uh you know i knew that those joints were i'd be far more happy like each time i loaded weight on the bar it's like oh is this gonna yeah. blow the hips out oh, mm. i'll see how we go and and squat down but i like what you're saying there um jordan like it, getting all your ducks in a row and 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 actually i guess when you do take this approach it's it's like okay well where, where can this fuck up Let's have a think. Okay, yeah. let's get these as strong as we possibly can. Let's yeah. do everything here. Then, then it is really about you. You, you can realistically then predict sort of a linear progression. It's mm. like okay, yeah, I should be able to squat that number in three months' time because you know my strength is developing with all these, you know, these other parts of the body. So yeah, I'm on track to hit that. Whereas if you're not doing any of these exercises and you don't actually know the inherent strength of all your joints, I mean, how how can you really well, I'll just put a little bit more on the bar. I mean, you know, that those extreme weights that you guys are getting up to with, with you know, powerlifting or any sort of Olympic sport, yeah. Olympic lifting, I mean, you know, unless you know that, I mean, it's a brave brave individual to just keep pushing and pushing the lead and, and hoping that you're going to be, uh, your joint integrity is up to the task. Yeah, I think that's where genetics, I mean, I'm assuming, and I've, I've only heard this, maybe you can confirm, but like genetics play a, such a huge role in the top end of any sport because that's going to be what catalyzes whatever sure. environment you put yourself in so it's like just as you you know did no movement prep but we're good for 210 and, and ray-ban sort of thing mm. the, I, my goal is not again this is more of a competitive mindset my goal is not to go through injury prevention my goal is to go through a process of injury risk management where it's like yes. yeah i wear a clinician hat and i'll say a couple three syllable words here and then but <laughs> it's just like when the rubber hits the road and and the chalk is flying and you're in the warm-up room it's like 
I couldn't tell you the bicep insertion. I could be yeah. I could be further removed from any textbook I've ever read in my entire life. Mm. Knowing that that's going to be my mindset in every training session leading up to that, I better be damn cerebral and make sure I've done that approach. Because yeah, yeah. textbook and the diplomas go out the window mm. when when the chalk hits the hands and the belt is on. Because mm. it's like it's not for me at that point. It's the, the gravity has been kicking our ass since day jump. Since the Tuesday before the Big Bang, gravity has been just laying it to us. My goal is to put up as big a number as I can before gravity eventually wins. Yeah. And then that's the cool. genetic yeah. components. Like I look with guys that, that could not be more lackadaisical in their approach to prevention because yeah. they're bulletproof. Yes. They're iron. Uh, they yes. do stuff at a volume and an intensity and a frequency that I just can't wrap my head around. It's mm. like how – have you guys seen Generation Iron? Yep. The original, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I vaguely recall it. Yeah, they draw that contrast between like Branch Warren and and Ben Pakulski, like Ben being like the science-based guy, yeah, and Branch just like the brute force. And yeah, it's yeah. like anyone, any bystander, anyone who's been in a gym once looks at someone like Branch training, and goes, "Ooh, man, that's gotta hurt." Yeah, but he's yeah, just right. able to wake up the next day and do it again and again and year after year, decade after decade. And it's like, that's what you're going to see rise to the top, where it's like anyone that didn't, that applied that lack of forethought when it came to where the pipe's going to burst and didn't have that genetic resiliency, you'd never hear from them because they wouldn't yeah, make it past the, yeah. a, a 185 bench, right? Or 185 pound bench. Yeah. So it's just knowing that I'm likely limited by either A, a history of, of injury in the past, or, or B, maybe not the bulletproof genetic predisposition that some of these people seem to benefit from it's like i better make a smart as a smart of approach as i can so with that said jordo um you know we've got reasonable genetics you're an elite level power lifter plus you're the muscle doctor and you know all this kind of stuff what kind of hip wheelbarrow can you do like could you just if we were watching you now could you demonstrate a perfect set of those beautiful lunges from the split squat all the way through to the to, to the to the glutes um wheelbarrow and then back into another one and just go up and down a sled track like that doing them perfectly like a ballerina or what's is it still hard for you no i mean it's a skill right it's skill adaptation for me yeah. it's and two there's a frequency component like i don't want to say that i'm you know good at this because i'm I know the ins and outs from anatomy or whatever. I just do this a lot. Imagine, yeah, yeah. you know, I'm pretty lucky to live in a place where I can treat athletes in my office almost primarily. Like, I don't see many soccer moms. I don't see many elderly patients unless the soccer moms or elderly patients are attempting world records on the platform. Yeah. So I, I get to explain these principles and demonstrate these, these correctives because just as common as injuries are in powerlifting because everyone does the same thing squat bench and deadlift everyone also neglects the same thing as well so yeah. i mean my yeah to answer your question is yeah you could put me at the end of a truck and i could go through an entire you know 100 meters 200 meters and, and not have two feet at the ground on the same time during any sort of swing phase or use my hands but it's just because i do it all day yeah and, and like my and squat that's... warm is nothing because i've done it for eight hours in the office it's yes just, i just put yes. under a bar then but then the average powerlifter who comes in, when you first get them to do that, mm. are they anywhere near it? In terms no, of your if level you're in of my office you, and that's the underlying issue. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to call it, I don't have hard enough data. I mean, I've seen enough frequency or volume of patients now where the, I could draw, in my own mind, a definitive line between causation and correlation. Like, 
we've we've gone far past correlation here. Like, yeah. I think. Yeah. Uh, you, I have yet to have someone that posed with symptoms that would would that would point to an underlying glute instability as a potential root of their pathology, and put them on one leg, put them through this series, and then just be a Perfect. savant, like yeah. just dialed in. I've never seen it. Yeah. Like okay. I've seen people who aren't injured do it and do it well, but I don't see them in my office because no one's going to pay me money just to come in and chat. They're usually coming in because there's something wrong. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, for me. It's pretty much batting a thousand. Um, I'd like to see, honestly, a fringe case that that kind of pushed my thought process a little bit. But <laughs> there is a really good correlation, almost. I mean, bordering in my mind from a clinical standpoint, causation in hip instability uh, and SI joint sprains, or hip instability and well, I mean, this is founded in research: patellofemoral pain and knee pain. So, uh, for me, this is a really good starting point. It's just the issue is with powerlifting if. The, the if there's a problem we just throw weight at it we just think strength is the answer right mm-hmm. and that's why x powerlifters are able to monetize these things that look to strengthen the glutes where it's like you couldn't be further missing the boat how many patients i see that have you know these these implements that people sell and granted i think for a teaching tool like i don't want to bash the mm-hmm. the theraband or jane fonda or the hip circle or whatever i think as a tactile stimulus to teach someone to abduct and externally rotate in a squat, um, I think it's I think it's great, but I, I think the buck doesn't stop there. I think we have to get a little bit more sophisticated in our approach. Um, and the nice thing is that takes nothing more than a little bit of know-how. It yeah. doesn't cost anything. Yeah, it's just understanding the principle there is, is the key. And you know, some people don't want to. Some people don't want to learn. Some people want just to buy the accessory instead of doing the accessories. And to each their own. Um, but I've found really strong. Uh, correlation in, in in people who suck at it, who are hurt, and people who get better at it and and don't have recurring injuries. Awesome. I, I think also, um, Jordan, it's like uh, what you described and and the sequence I went through. You know, getting up on one leg. I mean, damn sight easier chucking a band around the knees and and crab walking back and forth across the gym. You know, it sort of comes back to most usually find a, a, an easy out and uh, you know to go through that uh, routine which is which will be pretty hard I mean you can mm. you saw me flapping around you'd probably be a little better than me Tommy but a process in itself and um, you know it's like are they gonna do that or are they more likely to get eh, the band will will help a little bit I'm gonna yeah but you know um, such is life you know usually you know you well, work think, a little harder and the results are going to be return on investment will be far more yeah and I, I think we kind of alluded to this last week Jordo that when you now that we've been through that exercise and you've broken down how clearly that mechanism all fits together in mm. a piece I'm actually Makes very sense. I'm very motivated now yeah. like I was last week with the press yeah. to go into the gym and test myself at that and master that skill it's just proof of concept I think yeah. and the nice thing with it is like if you told someone your answer was you have to get stronger and, and sometimes i mean that is definitely a piece to injury like strength mm. is strength is our, our 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 resiliency and our ability to prevent um a prevent injury hopefully from happening but two recovering from an injury and having a baseline strength i don't want to negate that mm. and i think i can get away with speaking a little bit more uh steadfast about stability because i have a number to back it up Um, whereas the average physio or Cairo that just lifts or that doesn't really lift weights and comes in and maybe starts spouting some of this that might not get the buy-in and be like yeah well what do you know and it's like well I've held up up till this weight so far and I've been competing and powerlifting for like a year and a half so maybe it might be worth listening to yeah Uh, 
and two, but just the stimulus adaptation of, of, of the transient changes of the nervous system required to improve stability are so fast in comparison on the spectrum mm. of building strength, building mm. hypertrophy, yeah. or you know, adapting tendons or adapting bones. Like, mm. uh, I don't know if we spoke on this on the shoulder, but like, think of the if you're unstable and that um, the the role of stability gets put on a muscle, and then that muscle either strains because it's taking on now a load of strength and stability, or that load gets put on a tendon, and that tendon goes through tendonitis or tendinopathy mm. or tendinosis or whatever they're calling it these days, not that it matters. Um, so we call it an overuse injury, mm. which is usually a misuse injury. Mm. Say that that, ad that adaptation takes, you know, six, eight months of like lifting with poor technique, but then, then down the line, it's like, the buck doesn't stop there and finding a way to stabilize or stop you to moving in unstable positions. It's like over time, stimulus adaptations can happen on like the osseous level, like on a bone. Like you can get like femoral acetabular impingement or bone spurs or or things like that where we've we've missed the potential to make so many changes in in stimulus adaptation to improve stability that our bones at the end of the line are trying to stop their adjacent movement to another bone. Yeah. So it's like. You know, if you took someone in off, off the street and it's like, hey, I want to squat, uh, you know, 300 kilos. And it's like, okay, what do you squat now? Like 50 kilos. Like, all right, you're in for a long haul. Like you're in mm. for years and years and years of, uh, of training where it's like you take someone in off the street that suffers from, you know, uh, hip instability causing low back pain. Within 10 minutes of some tactile cueing and kind of positioning them and explaining the ins and outs of it, their nervous system will pick up on that stimulus mm. adaptation so fast because yeah. they want to because there's, you know, millions of years of evolutionary biology from when we crawled out of the ocean. And it's like, yeah, no, it'll probably benefit us if we're going to walk around a lot mm. to be able to do it for longer and longer. So stability is so is so transient. It's something that it, you can pick it up so fast and the benefits really are quick. Um, and it's not to sound like snake oil so salesman or anything like that, but you can really sell someone on it because there's one thing to like feel like the burn of like a hip circle crab walk and you mm. feel like a pump in a muscle that needs to be stable. It'd be tantamount to feeling like a rotator cuff pump where it's like, again, the anatomical versus the neurological. It's the neurological adaptation that's going to that's gonna reign supreme in the ability to adapt the quickest. Mm. So I think it helps kind of twofold there. It's just like, They'll, they'll adapt and they'll start to see the benefit really fast as opposed to, you know, waiting for the shipping and handling and waiting for the thing to show up at your door. Yeah. By the time you've hit send or entered your PayPal info on whatever gizmo gimmick, but you could have been yeah. standing on one leg and started making strides, no pun or pun intended, on, on actually improving the underlying issue. Mm. Probably also actually improving your brain function and opening up some fresh pathways in the in the brain as well. Oh yeah, I mean, and it, you know, we brushed over the benefits of, of like long-term health. Like you, you take a 65-year-old person who's really unstable, lives in like a one or a single-floor flat. Mm. They break their hip, or they fall over. Say, if I think if you fall over past the age of 65, mm. you're looking to die within a year. Yeah. Imagine having that level of instability where you know putting one foot up a step, down you go, and you can pretty much start the clock, and you got a year left to to live. Yeah. Or yeah. Is, you crack a rib. I think it's something like uh, I want to say it's inside of inside of ten months. If you crack a rib past a certain age, you're likely to end up with pneumonia and die. Yeah. So it's, 
yeah, it's one thing. I mean, we're just talking like a bunch of meatheads going like, yeah, but you can squat 300 kilos pain free. It's another thing entirely, and that's what makes makes the like a rehab approach like this so palatable to the masses. And if people who attempted to monetize within the echo chamber of the fitness industry really understood the benefits or found a way to reach more people with a message that would be effective. Mm. And whether they're doing it out of their own personal ignorance or trying to line their own pockets is, is another conversation to be mm. had. But mm. you can really you can really reach a market and benefit a quality of life way past hitting PRs in the gym. Yes, look, uh, totally agreed. But uh, then once again, you're up against the psyche of the masses that just like the shiny bubbles and the therabands. Exactly. Yeah. And, the like, and that's yes. why you gotta you gotta kind of have you gotta come at it from both yeah. sides, right? Like you gotta you gotta walk the walk. You gotta kind of Jane Goodall in with the chimps a little bit and mm. and bunk down and be like one of them. And then when you have the floor, try and you know put this message out there, and yep. hopefully then you'll have the notoriety to back up the credibility is kind of the goal. Yes. Yeah. I mean, look, it, it, you know, if if you didn't. Uh, have those numbers and you weren't jacked as, as you know what uh, you know Tom would be paying attention as he does but I would be glazed over flicking my phone but <laughs> the fact that you're so uh, you know you eat you do legitimately uh, sell the concept of strength very well so um, you know it even uh, even had me raising my eyebrows and I, I might have to do some of these Tom maybe I can do something other than the leg press for, for, for quads yeah man I mean I think the uh, well, now's the time to do it you, can't, you haven't trained for a long time oh, no back no in and start do next week mate <laughs> yeah. start next week we're just yeah. talking about it today yeah you know good mm. <laughs> well Jordo mate um, once again eye opening uh, eye opening but so many nice practical things to take away and, um, and get stuck into there for the uh, long term health of the glutes mate so um, that's wonderful I appreciate you guys calling me back I honestly was just like, there's no way. There's no way they're going to let me go through this demented rambling again. Hopefully this reaches like one person that tries it, does it, and benefits from it. If, if nothing else, we've offended or bored or, or done whatever to anyone else. Mm-hmm. If one person walks away and implements it and hits a PR next week or gets out of pain, then exactly. mission accomplished. Cool. Beautiful. So, Jordo, how do people get in contact with you again if they um, if they're keen more? in, in uh, your prescript program? Or, uh, mate, do you have any actually? Have you got any videos of uh, these exercises? Yeah, yeah he's, that got, you're he's doing? got ones of that one. I've seen that one. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah that's that's all over um, Instagram. Uh, so yeah, prescript is kind of where you'll find me most of the days um, uh, in the online space. Uh, so it's www.pre-script.com. Uh, Instagram pre underscore script. Uh, personal Instagram uh, at the underscore muscle underscore doc. Um, depending on when this comes out, um, I'll be in. I'll be going around Australia in yep. uh, early to mid March, or pretty much the whole month of March. I'll be bouncing around. Um, so I'll be out there for Pro Raw. So I have seminars in uh, Sydney, Brisbane, Sunshine Coast, um, Melbourne, Perth, and Adelaide. Uh, I don't think I missed any there. And then potentially be back out your way later in the year as well. So um, if you have any direct questions, uh, info at prescript.com. Yeah, that's that's pretty much my online footprint um, on the whole. Awesome. All right, so we're going to get you back. Uh, we're going to really milk this one out. we still got a few more joints we're going to uh, cover, Tommy. What else have we got? We've got... Uh, 
Well, Next mate, time the, we're going to tackle the knee, I think, there, and um, the lower knee, back. I and think then that's the lower a big back. one. Yeah. I might save the lower back to last, mate. It's yeah. A juicy you want uh, to bunk- hunker down and make sure you got some caffeine for that one. That'll oh, be, yeah. Uh, that'll be oh, a yeah. big cup day for you. <laughs> uh, all right, Jordan. Uh, absolute pleasure having you on again. I look forward to chatting again soon. And... Um, yeah, all the all the best with uh, you making weight. You're, you're losing uh, what ten kilos and or eight kilos in the next uh, five weeks. Good luck with that one. And um, yeah, look I'll probably to be contacting you about that. <laughs> and there's pills you can take. It's fine. <laughs> all right, mate. Absolute pleasure. Talk to you soon. Yeah, appreciate it, mate. But thanks, Jordo. See you, mate. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk to you. Well, that was another great segment there with the muscle doctor, Jordan Shallow. Jordan, one of the concepts that I um, really starting to get my head around, the difference between anatomical loading and neurological loading. Mm. You know, yes, do the external rotator cuff, that puts resistance against those muscles, but does it really get the nervous system operational to resist force and stabilize in the sense that we need to actually express our strength? Yeah, well, I mean, those 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 bits and pieces are not necessarily designed for to, to peak maximal strength. They're designed to, you know, stabilize and, mm. and withstand and, and stop things from moving. So we can, with those bigger muscle groups, you know, generate the force. You know that uh, that analogy. You know, firing a, a canoe, a, a cannon in a canoe. You know, the, the thing sinks, but yep. you know, you build a big foundation, you get a big big battleship, and then you can you can blast away and lift these heavy loads. But uh, and. Um, the fact that you can actually, when you think about it, progress quite a bit further when you do actually spend time, you know, working on that infrastructure and getting that all. And look, to be honest, probably one of the one of the reasons I, you know, stay where I am. And 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 you know, after listening to him, you know, I was tempted to do a couple of uh, one of it's those too late, bird man. dogs, mate. Bird dog. <laughs> it's too late. But you know, but uh, as I, you know, I grab my lower back, it's like ah, I should probably do what Jordo says. But um, yeah, absolutely fascinating stuff, and obviously another insight into um, into what makes him tick, and, and to hear him so passionate about that stuff, and uh, he's a driven man. And it's absolute pleasure to have him as part of the program. So we'll have him on in a couple of episodes' time, doing yep. section three, which will mm. be the knees. Ooh. So uh, excited about all of that. Yep. Um, EvilGeniusDownUnder.com to get all the information for the seminar. Mm. Outside of that, have a wonderful day. Thanks yeah, for listening. Look, I mean, yeah. I'm just going to jump in there and say, look, uh, it's worth just buying tickets to the seminar for that uh, the foreplay material because uh, yeah. it was it was it was that enjoyable and uh, you really got from it. Yeah, really really Absolutely. good stuff. Hope to see you all there. Okay, bye.